0: at the half hour, we'll be joined by the cast of Our Ms. Brooks. But right now, let's see what's happening with Mr. Keene, Tracer of Lost Persons, in a show that was first aired in 1947.
1: Mr. Keene, Tracer of Lost Persons, is on the air. Ladies and gentlemen, the makers of Colonel's Toothpaste present Mr. Keene, tracer of lost Persons, one of the most famous characters of American fiction in one of radio's most thrilling dramas. Tonight and every Thursday night from 7.30 to 8 Eastern Wartime, the famous old investigator will take from his files and bring to us one of his most celebrated missing persons cases. <laughs> If your teeth are not every bit as bright and lustrous as they should be, resolve right now to bring out the natural sparkle of your smile with colonos, a high-polishing toothpaste. You see, the new colonos acts on your teeth as a jeweler's polish does on tarnished silver, safely, gently removing dingy surface stains, thereby uncovering the full natural sparkle of your smile. Ask your druggist for colonose. K-O-L-Y-N-O-S. Carlos Toothpaste. And now, Mr. Keene, tracer of lost persons. Tonight he brings us the case of the missing witness, one of the strangest of his career. The case in which murder, three beautiful women, and a fashion show are all strangely mingled. But listen now. As our story opens, a man is seated in a chair. Across his head, slants a bar of sunlight. And on his face is a completely incredulous smile. He rises slowly to say, Don't be a fool, my dear. Put it down before you hurt yourself. Can't you hear me? Stop this ridiculous play acting. Put it down, I say. (laughs) You really did it. I didn't
2: think you would. Does you? Help!
1: Now our scene shifts to the quiet office of Mr. Keene. As his the secretary, Miss Ellis, enters to ask a favor.
3: Mr. Keene, I wonder if I might get off early this afternoon.
1: You want to do some shopping, Miss Ellis? Oh, no, no.
3: I'm going to a fashion show. Why?
2: Ellis, uh, I didn't know you were interested in fashion
3: shows. But well, are you insinuating that I dress like a bag of potatoes? No. no. Oh, no. Uh, well, as a matter of fact, Mr. Keene, it's something very, very special. You see, when I was living in Queens about 15 years ago, there used to be a little widow next door. Pretty little creature. Oh, such a struggle to make a living for herself and her daughter. I'd give her a bit of sewing every now and then to help, and... <laughs> well, you won't believe me when I tell you her name. Try me. Mary Blaine. <laughs> today, she's the most brilliant in America. Good heavens, that is... The dress, the dinner suit, the short evening gown. She's enormously famous and wealthy now.
2: Yes, I read a piece about Mrs. Blaine in one of the magazines. It called her the epitome of the successful career woman.
3: Well, she's giving her a mid-season fashion show today, and she asked me to come for All Lang Syne. Mm.
2: Brilliant woman.
3: Ah, uh, Mary's a... Uh, look here, Mr. Keene. Don't you come along and meet her. What? Oh, me? Dozens of men there, and all in love with Beauty Blaine. Oh. oh, do come. I no, have nothing... Well,
2: uh... uh, uh all right, Miss Ellis. Are you seen Mr.
3: Keen? I told you that. Oh, that's the general talking to her, right? She is beautiful,
2: all right. Success. Uh, How do you mean? There's an expression in her face of strain, anxiety.
3: Maybe. Oh, she's noticed me. Here she comes. Isn't she stunning in that little gray number? Mm. Miss Ellis, I'm so glad you could come. Well, thank you, Mary dear. And I took the liberty of bringing my boss, Mr. Keene. How do you do, Mr. Keene?
2: Delighted to know you.
3: I've been hearing about you for years from Miss Ellis. How wise you are. And how kind. Now, now, don't give away any secrets. <laughs> but it's very sweet of you to break away from all those generals and things to say hello to just me, Mary. You were my friend when I was nobody. Well, you've always deserved the best friends in the world, Mary. And uh,
4: Oh, look, somebody's waiting for you.
3: Oh, oh, my manager, it's time for the show to begin. I'll have to get up to the microphone there to announce the new models as they come by. I'm so glad to have met you, Mr. King. The pleasure
2: was mine. Yes, she is. Lovely and famous,
3: but not quite happy. Oh, you with your X-ray eyes! Well, here starts the fashion parade, Mr. Keyes. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, my first offering: a long dinner dress with panel of pleated white chiffon, tied with a grosgrain ribbon at the back. Isn't that stunning?
2: Yes. Even an old bachelor can see that. Uh, Especially an old bachelor.
3: (laughs) That's funny. I don't see Eric Plummer here, Miss
2: Keene. Eric Plummer? You mean the portrait painter?
3: Yes. And gay dog number one of New York.
2: Oh? They're good
3: friends, Miss Ellis? He's been infatuated with Mary for some time.
2: You mean he and Mrs. Blaine are going to marry?
3: Well, Mary's a strange one, Mr. Keene. never quite sure whether men love her for herself or her importance. But it seems that Eric Plummer has finally won her heart. And now a black velour suit with lean plum lined skirt. A double-breasted jacket with high-scrolled lapels and a scrolled hip pocket. (laughs) Oh, look, Miss Keen, over there by the door. Yes, Miss Ellis. That charming little blonde, that's Mary's daughter, Bunny. Quite a young lady. Uh, it's hard to believe that Mary would have a daughter 18 years old. Yes, yeah,
2: she's still so young herself.
3: Hmm. Mary won't be too pleased about her coming here. Why? Well, Mary just likes to keep Bunny away from business and career and men of the world. Oh. Mary's learned to value everything old-fashioned, a little white house with chintz curtains. In other words,
2: one of America's greatest career women thinks that a woman's place is really in the hall. And a simple
3: home. Miss Ellis. Miss Ellis. Hello, Bunny, dear. Miss Ellis, how long has the show been going on? About 15 minutes. I must talk to Mother. I must. But, dear, she's up there at the microphone. You can see. Something horrible has happened. I must talk to her. But, Bunny, what do you mean? <laughs> and now with my last offering before the intermission, another short dinner dress. Mother! I've seen Bunny. She's coming this way. Oh, now, dear, try to quiet yourself. And here, let me introduce you to Mr. King.
2: How do you do, Bunny?
3: Mr. King, you're the famous detective.
2: I'm an investigator.
3: Well, maybe you can do something about this horrible thing.
2: What horrible
3: thing, Bunny? Hello, Bunny, dear. Mother! Darling, I, I thought you were going skating with your young soldier friend. Oh, no, I didn't. Oh, Mother! Mother! Oh, come, Bunny. What's happened? I went to Eric Plummer's studio instead half an hour ago. To Eric's studio? Why? He asked me to tea. He wanted to talk about doing my portrait. He might have asked me about that. Oh, it was all to be a surprise, Mother. Eric said it would make me the toast of cafe society. i have become Glamour Girl number 1 of 1944. Oh, my dear. You should have gone skating. Bob Martin is such a fine boy, and, and his fellow will be up soon. Mother, I still haven't told you what happened. If
2: you'd rather, we left you alone.
3: Oh, no, no, Mr. King, please stay. I beg you to. Well, what has happened, Benny? When I got to the studio, rang the doorbell. A policeman came out. A policeman? He asked me all sorts of questions because... Because, you see, Eric's been shot. Shot oh, yes. Through the head. He's dead, Mother. He's dead. Oh, how utterly horrible. The police said there weren't any clues at all. Oh, imagine anybody killing a wonderful man like Eric Plummer. It's gastered. Gas- 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 I want to find the person who killed Eric. I want to make them pay. And that's why I thought maybe Mr. Keene... Yes. Mr. Keene, in a situation like this, You'd know exactly what to do. What if the police are already on the case? Well, one moment, please. Bunny, go over to Mr. LaRue and ask him to announce the rest of the show. All right, Mother. And you, Mr. Keene, would you please step into my office with me? Oh, forgive me, Miss Ella. Oh, it's quite all right, Mary. Here. Here, Mr. Keene.
2: Thank you. Well, my dear?
3: Mr. Keene, Bunny's news. Did not altogether surprise me. Really? In fact, I know very well who killed Eric Plummer. You do? But first, Mr. Keene, I've heard you're the cleverest private investigator in this country. Thank you. Do something for me, please. Go to Eric's studio. Examine all the evidence. And when you come back. Yes? I'll tell you who killed Eric Plummer. <laughs>
1: Good afternoon, Captain Thomas. Oh, well, if it isn't Mr. Keene, your assistant with you, the one and only Mike. Glad to see you both. Good day to yourself, Captain. You're handling the
2: police investigation, Captain?
1: That's right, Mr. Keene. Come in.
2: Thank you. Well,
1: what brings you here, if I may ask? I
2: was with Eric Plummer's fiancée, Mrs. Mary Blaine, when she got word of the shooting. She's very upset, naturally. She asked me to look into it you mind? Not at all, Mr. Keene. It's murder, all right. Has the medical examiner been here yet? We're waiting for him now. If I might look at the body... Certainly. This way, sir.
1: In this room here. Well, there he is. Just the way we found
5: him.
2: Hmm. He had been sitting by his easel in the center of the room.
1: But there's nothing on the easel, boss. Just an empty frame. Quite right, Mike. We figure there was once a painting there, Mr. Keene... And the person who shot him was being painted. Then ripped it off the frame to avoid identification. Yes, very possible indeed, Captain.
2: Now then, if I may look at the wound. Right there in the head. Hmm. No powder marks? No. The path of the bullet, tip entered just above the right ear at uh, the distance of... Uh... What would you say, Captain? Doesn't it seem to you that... It bullet was fired from
1: 15 feet or more? I leave that kind of guessing to the medical examiner. Hmm. Oh, uh, may I ask why you're staring at the walls now, Mr. King? I was wondering about the proportions of this room. I measured it already. 20 by 20. Oh, thank you.
2: No sign anywhere of the gun that killed him? None. May I ask how you learned about the shooting?
1: Uh, through a neighbor. The shot resounded pretty loud in the air shaft back of that window there. And the neighbor who heard it? A gal who has the studio on the back. Portuguese gal, Rosa Avalar. She was taking a bath at the time she heard the shot. As quick as she could, she came and knocked on the door here. No answer, so she sent for us. Well, thank you, Captain. I won't trouble you any further.
2: Rosa Avalar. This is her daughter, all right, Mike. Wait for me on the landing below. I'd rather go in alone.
1: Okay, Mr. Miss Avila. Yes? I'm
2: taking a hand in the investigation of the murder next door.
3: Well, I have already talked to the police.
2: Just one or two questions more.
3: Why not? I want to help as much as I can. This Mr. Plummer was a very kind gentleman. In what way? Oh, he is a painter, and I am a painter. But I am a little one, a poor one. He made me many loans of materials. Very generous.
2: As one artist to another, eh?
3: Yes, of course.
2: Well, what I'd like to know is, did you see who entered his studio in the hours before he was shot?
3: No. I am busy painting a flower piece.
2: That one there? Yes. It's lovely.
3: Uh, you like it?
2: Very much. I presume you're working from that vase of roses on the windowsill.
3: Yes, that's right.
2: Hmm. Well, now, after the shooting, did you hear anybody running from the studio?
3: Well, I am not sure. You see, I am taking a bath with the window closed. I hear a loud noise like a shot, but nothing else. Thank
2: you. Sorry to have troubled you.
3: <laughs> no trouble at all.
2: Well, Mr. King? Mike, I'd like you to check something for me right away. Why, sure, sir. While I go back to see Mrs. Blaine, I want you to dig up the landlord of this house and just as routine, check on these points.
1: In just a few moments, the scene follows between Mr. Keene and Mary Blaine. Meanwhile, remember, first impressions are usually lasting impressions. People judge you by the way they see you. They decide almost at once whether they want to know you better or not. And one of the greatest factors that influence everyone you meet is your teeth. If your teeth are dull and discolored by surface stains, chances are nine times out of ten that others find you unattractive. That's why I want to tell you about the new colonos toothpaste. It's a high-polishing toothpaste. Thousands more people every day are discovering it does wonders in helping to remove from the teeth those dingy looking surface stains, so that the natural sparkle and brilliance is revealed. What's more, Colonos is delightfully pleasant to use because it leaves your mouth feeling tingling clean and refreshed. For its action is like a jeweler's polish removing tarnish from a piece of silver. So if you want a smile that makes a good impression, that adds to your charm and personality, try the new Colonos toothpaste, a high polishing toothpaste. Get Colonos. K-O-L-Y-N-O-S. Kalanose toothpaste at any drugstore tonight. And now Mr. Keene faces Mary Blaine, Eric Plummer's beautiful and famous fiancée. Here, Mr.
3: Keene, sit down. Thank you, Mrs. Blaine. You went there. You examined the evidence. Yes.
2: I fulfilled my part of the bargain.
3: And now I'll have to fulfill mine.
2: Well, my dear... You said you knew who killed Eric Plummer.
3: I did, Mr. Keene. I killed him.
2: You? I fancied you'd say that.
3: Oh, not because I'm shielding anybody else. Please don't get the conventional idea that my daughter, that Bunny perhaps... No, no.
2: But if you did it, why did you send me back to look at the
3: evidence? Because... Because I hoped and prayed that perhaps I didn't do it. Oh, I, I know all this sounds mad... Tell me the whole story. The whole story, Mr. King? I've given my best years to fight my way to the top. Now it's just one long nightmare of anxiety to stay there. Men flock around me. Why? For my money, my fame, or for myself? I can never be sure. When I met Eric Plummer, I i knew he'd led a rather wild life. But he was a great artist in his own right. And when he told me he loved me, it sounded real for once. Or I hoped it was real.
2: Yes, my dear, go on.
3: Lately, he's been painting my portrait. Once I took Bunny to watch. That was a mistake. Harry went to work on Bunny with all his charm. A man old enough to be her father. I want to keep Bunny wholesome and natural, Mr. Keene. I asked Eric again and again to stop turning her head. Today, this morning, I went to sit for him again and to have it out with him once and for all. I was sitting on the desk,
1: and he was painting.
3: He looked up and laughed. He said...
1: (laughs) Well, my dear, you wouldn't be jealous of Bunny, now, would you?
3: Don't be silly, Eric. I just want you to leave Bunny alone.
1: (laughs) Such a hackneyed situation, isn't it? The poor man starts by falling in love with the mother, and then suddenly he sees that, after all, it's the daughter he loves.
3: Eric, you don't love anybody. It's all a game with you.
1: me, the eternal triangle.
3: He'd taken that tone with me before, Mr. Keene. Laughed at me. This time I was desperate. I wasn't going to let him ruin Bunny's life. I brought along a revolver. I took it from my bag. Eric looked up and said.
2: Mary, you're much too sophisticated for that kind of
3: nonsense. You must promise me never to see Bunny again. <laughs> Eric, I'm serious
1: about this. Believe <laughs> Don't me. Don't be a fool, my dear. Put it down before you hurt yourself.
2: Can't you hear me? Stop this ridiculous play acting. Put it down, I say. <laughs> you really did
4: it. I didn't think you
3: had it in you.
2: And there he lay dead before you,
3: Mrs. Lee. Mr. Kane, will you believe me? I was... I was horrified. I never really meant to pull that trigger. I only wanted to frighten him. And suddenly, he was... dead. I suppose I should give myself up to the police.
2: One moment. Before you do anything like that, what has become of the gun?
3: Well... After I ran from the house, my first thought was to get rid of it. I threw it away. Where? There was a can of cinders standing in front of one of the houses. I pushed the gun inside and covered it over.
2: That, my dear, was a great mistake. You went and buried your own best witness. Witness? Yes. To the fact that you never shot Eric Plummer.
3: But I didn't shoot him. No.
2: It was a physical impossibility.
3: Why? Why? do you say that?
2: Better answer
1: Hello.
3: Uh, Begging your pardon. May I speak to
1: Mr. King? One moment, please. Mr. King. Thank you. Hello? Boss. Mr. King. Oh, hello,
2: Mike. What did you find out?
1: Boss, you hit it on the nose.
2: Good, Mike. I'm glad. Now, something else for you to do. Yes, sir. Check with the sanitation department at once. Ask what they've done with the cinders they removed this morning from the 3000 block in East 58th Street. Cinders? What I'm really after is a gun. The caliber. 38. 38. Mike, we must have it. Talk
1: of a needle in a haystack.
2: I know you won't fail me, Mike.
1: Okay, sir.
3: So you think I did not kill Eric?
2: Strange, isn't it? That I have to get evidence to convince you of your own innocence.
3: But if I didn't, who did, Mr. Keene?
2: That, my dear, is another story. And a rather tragic one. Forgive me if I run
1: along now. (laughs)
3: So you are here again, the old gentleman.
2: Yes, I'm afraid I must trouble you again.
3: With more questions?
2: This is a matter of life or death. For whom? A woman, her daughter, other person.
3: Well, what do you want now?
2: Permission to inspect your studio. I want to study the layout.
3: Sorry, I cannot talk to anyone. Mrs. Avalok.
2: She slammed the door in my face. <laughs>
1: Good morning, boss. It was me. Not fit to stand in anybody's office. Why, Mike, you're all covered with ashes. It's like a specter risen from the grave. I've been digging through a mountain of ashes all night. Where? Over on the East Drive. They were it for a landfill. Did you find it, Mike? Yeah, boss. Good work. Have a look inside.
2: Mike, I'm going back to Mary Blaine's place at once.
1: I beg your pardon, sir. Are you going in there by any chance to see Mrs. Blaine? Yes. Corporal, you are a corporal, aren't you? Yes, sir. Bob Martin's my name. My name is Keene. I believe you're a friend of Bunny's. Oh, I'm crazy about her. I came up on this furlough just to see Bunny. She locks herself away from me. Won't come to the phone. I'm not sophisticated enough for her, I guess. I rather fancy she may soon have a
2: fill of sophistication. Well... I just thought if you saw Bunny around inside... i will be glad to tell her you're here. And too bashful to break in. Thank you.
3: Oh, Mr. Keene. I've been waiting so anxiously ever since you phoned that you were coming.
2: Can we speak somewhere privately? Of course. This door. Mr.
3: Keene. Hello, Bunny. You have good news for us? Bunny knows everything I, I told her. I don't see how I ever could have thought Eric was glamorous.
2: Well, we found a gun, Mrs. Blaine. Look at it.
3: It's mine. The one I tried to get rid of.
2: Not one of the cartridges has been fired.
3: You're sure?
2: My dear, you couldn't possibly have killed him. And for many reasons.
3: What do you mean?
2: You say Eric Plummer was facing you when you aimed the revolver? Yes, Mr. Keene. But the bullet actually entered from the side of his head.
3: The side?
2: In fact, judging from the lack of powder marks from the distance at which the fatal bullet was obviously fired... Nobody inside that room could have killed him.
3: Why, Mr. King?
2: The room is 20 by 20. The plumber sitting in the center at his easel. A person aiming the pistol with arm outstretched it would nowhere have been more than 10 feet from him. But the bullet traveled at least 15 feet.
3: 15? Then where did it come from?
2: Outside the apartment. From a studio just across the narrow air shaft and through the open window of Plummer's studio.
3: And the person who killed him?
2: A young lady, I'm afraid. Also a painter. We learned from the landlord that it was Plummer who engaged the little back studio for her a year ago.
3: Eric did? Yes. And he was supposed to be so madly in love with Mother.
2: For the past three months, her rent hasn't been paid at all. Plummer finally lost interest. The young lady, Miss Avalar, seems quite hot-tempered.
3: Charm. Glamour. And in the end, murder. Come in.
1: Mr. Keith. Captain Thomas. Your office said I'd find you here. I have a message for you. For me? It was addressed to the old gentleman. We figured out that means you.
2: From from Rosa Avalar.
1: Yeah.
2: Read it. Old gentleman. You are very wise. You guessed the truth. Now I will save everybody's time by sentencing myself. Rosa Avalar.
1: She... she committed
3: suicide?
1: Half hour ago, ma'am. I'm sorry about this. Truly sorry. Well, that closes the case. I'll have to get along now and write the police report. Goodbye, Captain Thomas.
3: Mr. King, how can I ever thank you?
2: You were innocent, Mrs. Blaine. I was happy to be able to help you.
3: Eric, everything about him was so mean, so heartless.
2: That reminds me Bunny. I believe there's a boy, a very bashful one... Was hanging around outside.
3: Oh, not poor Bob.
2: Yes, poor Bob, a boy your own age, with ten times the real glamour of a man like Eric Plummer. Poor
3: dear, he must be furious with me. No,
2: just dying to see you, and my dear. Whenever you are tempted to see glamour in a man like Eric Plummer, remember that all that glisters is not gold. Often you have heard that told. Gilded tombs do worms infold.
3: How? Terribly true. I've realized it for a long time, and now so do I.
2: All right, Bunny. Run along with you and make that poor bashful soldier happy.
1: And so Mr. Keene concludes the case of the missing witness. Listen next week at the same time as he brings us the baffling and colorful case of the girl who sang too well. Every girl and woman knows that in order to be popular today, one of the most important things she needs is an attractive smile. A smile that reveals clean and sparkling teeth. And to the man in business. Teeth that make a good impression are just as important, too. If you're not certain that your own teeth are as attractive as they should be, here's something you will want to know. The new Colonos high polishing toothpaste does wonders in helping to remove those dingy surface stains. Helps reveal the natural brilliance of your teeth that adds so much to the charm and personality of your smile. I'll tell you why it does this. Its action on teeth is like that of a jeweler's polish on tarnished silver. So start using Kolonos, a high-polishing toothpaste yourself, right away. You can get Kolonos, K-O-L-Y-N-O-S, Kolonos at any drugstore tonight. You've just been listening to Mr. Keene, Tracer of Lost Persons. Now on the air at a new time, every Thursday night, 7.30 to 8, Eastern Wartime over this network. Don't miss Mr. Keene next Thursday night when the kindly old tracer turns to the case of the girl who sang too well. This is Larry Elliott saying good night for the makers of Columbus Toothpaste and Mr. Keene, Tracer of Lost Persons.
0: Stay tuned for Eve Arden as our Miss Brooks next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Eve Arden as Our Miss Brooks.
6: Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. (laughs) Although Our Miss Brooks teaches English at Madison High, her problems, like those of any other teacher, aren't always confined to purely scholastic ones. There's Mr. Philip Boynton, for instance, a biology teacher of whom Miss Brooks is extremely fond.
7: And who, in return, lavishes his affection upon his frogs and guinea pigs? (laughs) There have been other problems, too. A perfect example of what I'm talking about occurred last Sunday, a grand illustration of what can happen when you let a little softness of the heart spread to your head. The day started off innocently enough when my landlady, Mrs. Davis, knocked on my door around 9.30 in the morning.
4: Connie! Oh, Connie! Oh, come on in, Mrs. Davis. Oh, I don't like to disturb you like this
7: on Sunday. Oh, that's all right, Mrs. Davis. I've been up. Since when? Since you said Connie. Oh, Connie. Get up, Connie. It's It's 9.30. <laughs> Such a note to wake you, dear. I'm glad you did, Mrs. Davis. I've got to do a little checking today on one of my pupils who's been absent all week, Eddie Garson. Connie, today's Sunday. I know, Mrs. Davis, but Eddie's always had such a good record of attendance. I just can't understand it. His mother hasn't answered any of my notes, and by tomorrow, Mr. Conklin will send a truant officer after him. I'm going over to his house today and investigate. It's very nice of you to take such an interest in the boy, Connie. Well, I feel it's my duty to go to Eddie's home, Mrs. Davis. He's always been a good student, well-behaved, with a fine character, and he lives four doors from Mr. Boynton.
4: <laughs> oh, I see. Connie, did Mr. Boynton ask you for a date? Well, how could he,
7: Mrs. Davis? I haven't asked him to yet. <laughs> but if I can straighten out Eddie Garson in a hurry, I might accidentally run into Mr. Boynton. I'm perfectly willing to meet him
4: halfway... Of course, if his door opens outward, I'm liable to get a broken nose. (laughs) But I understand that Mr. Boynton likes to take his Sunday morning constitutional by himself. Well, that's what's nice about a constitutional. You can always amend it.
8: (laughs) Coming. Miss Brooks.
7: May I come in, Eddie? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Sit down, Miss Brooks. Thank you, Eddie. I'm glad to see you're not sick. I came over to find out why you haven't been in school all week. Well, frankly, Miss Brooks, I've been pretty busy. Oh, well, I guess I can go home now.
8: (laughs) You know, it's no joke trying to raise kids. Kids? You're only
7: 14 years old yourself. Well, that's what makes it so tough. Oh, well, I guess I can go home now. (laughs) I've been taking care of my kid brothers,
8: Miss Brooks. You see, my father's on the road and my mother's in the hospital. Oh, I'm sorry, Eddie. Is there anything I can do to help? Oh, there sure is, Miss Brooks. Mom's over in the Clay City Hospital, and I'd like to get you right out and see her today. If there was only someone to stay with the kids. Well, you will? Oh, gee, that's wonderful, Miss Brooks.
9: Hey, Mike. <laughs> hey, Mike. Hey, Daddy. Come
7: here.
8: What do you want, Eddie? This is Miss Brooks. She's my English teacher at school.
7: Oh. I'm uh, glad to know you,
8: too, Mike. And this is Danny. Say hello to Miss Brooks, Danny. Hello. (laughs) Now, there won't be any trouble at all, Miss Brooks. In fact, they'll give you all the help you need. Help? Yeah, with Tommy, the baby. Help? (laughs) Well, I'll be running along now. I'll be home in time for dinner. Thanks a million. So long. Well?
7: Here we are. <laughs> I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. Well, you'll have to wait. Oh, on second thought, maybe you two, other two better wait. Oh, quiet, baby. Nice, baby. Your mother will be home soon. Oh, dear. How does your mother keep him quiet? You gotta tell a story.
9: Yeah, you gotta tell him a story.
7: All right, I'll tell you a story. <laughs> once upon a time
5: <laughs> he heard that one <laughs>
7: he's pretty blase for a child his age. anyway, once there were three bears, you
9: want know to tell him, that old chestnut <laughs> give her a chance, Danny. she might put a switch on it.
7: And so, Snow White and the Prince lived happily ever after. I'm glad for him. I wonder why Eddie ain't home. You wonder why Eddie ain't home. Some English teacher. You know, I never in my life hit a child, and this is the first time I ever wondered why. (laughs) Eddie should have been back by now, though. It's after seven. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. (laughs) I'll get you something to eat and drink in a minute. (laughs) Quiet, Tommy. Now, once there was a girl named Little Red Riding Hood. Oh, great. Whose father was a traveling salesman. (laughs) And the glass slipper fit right over Cinderella's foot. Well, thank goodness they're all asleep. Now well, if I only knew where Eddie was. Oh, shh. Hello?
8: Hello, Miss Brooks. Well, gee, I had a wonderful visit with my mother, thanks to you.
7: Oh, I'm glad, Eddie, but where are you now?
8: Well, I'm still in Clay City, Miss Brooks, with some friends and mothers. The doctor said she can go home tomorrow, and if you'll just stay with the kids overnight...
7: Oh, but Eddie, I haven't got any... we one of Mother's.
8: What? Gee, I... <laughs> I sure appreciate this, Miss Brooks. I'll see you
7: tomorrow. Oh well, it's in a good cause. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. <laughs> once there were three little pigs.
9: I heard that one. <laughs>
7: He's pretty blasé for a child his age. Anyway, once there were three bears.
9: You want to tell him that old chestnut? <laughs> Give her a chance, Danny. She might put a switch on it.
7: And so, Snow White and the Prince lived happily ever after. I'm glad for him. I wonder why Eddie ain't home. You wonder why Eddie ain't home. Some English teacher. You know, I never in my life hit a child, and this is the first time I ever wondered why. <laughs> Eddie should have been back by now, though. It's after seven. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. <laughs> well, I'll get you something to eat and drink in a minute. <laughs> Quiet, Tommy. Now, once there was a girl named Little Red Riding Hood. Oh, great. Whose father was a traveling salesman. <laughs> And the glass slipper fit right over Cinderella's foot. Hmm. Well, thank goodness they're all asleep. Now well, if I only knew where Eddie was. Oh, shh. Hello?
8: Hello, Miss Brooks. Well, gee, I had a wonderful visit with my mother, thanks to you.
7: Oh, I'm glad, Eddie, but where are you now?
8: Well, I'm still in Clay City, Miss Brooks, with some friends and mothers. The doctor said she can go home tomorrow, and if you'll just stay with the kids
7: overnight... Oh, but, Eddie, I haven't got any... We're one of Mother's.
8: What Gee, I... I sure appreciate this, Miss Brooks. I'll see you
1: tomorrow.
7: Oh well, it's in a good cause. I'm hungry I'm thirsty. <laughs> Once there were three little pigs.
9: Well, let's, let's not bring personalities into this. <laughs>
7: Well, come on. Drop the other shoe. That's better. Now, once there was a big giant. Oh, what a horrible night. Let's see now. I'd better see what's in the kitchen before a hungry, thirsty, and screamy wake up. There's not a thing in the cupboard. I'd better call Mrs. Davis. If they'll only stay quiet for a few more minutes... Hello, hello, Mrs. Davis. This is Connie.
4: Connie! I've been worried sick. Where in the world have you been? I
7: have no time to explain now, but I want you to do me a favor. When Walter Denton comes by to take me to school, send him over to 225 Park Street.
4: 225 Park Street?
7: Yes, Mrs. Davis. I can't make it to school today. But Connie... I'll tell you all about it when I see you.
4: This is mysterious. Not going to school on Monday morning. I'd better call Mr. Conklin. I'll... Just tell him that Connie is sick and... Hello? Hello. Is that you, Osgood?
6: This is Mr. Conklin speaking. Uh
4: (laughs) This is Margaret Davis Osgood, and I just want to tell you that Miss Brooks won't be in school today. She doesn't feel well.
6: Doesn't feel well? What's the matter with her?
4: I really don't know, Osgood. I just know she's quite indisposed. Oh, I'm
6: sorry to hear that, Mrs. Davis. You always get indisposed on Monday.
4: (laughs) What's that, Arthur?
6: Tell Miss Brooks to take care of herself. Goodbye.
4: He didn't sound very concerned. If I were you, Connie, I wouldn't go in until I... Well, who am I talking to? She's not even home.
9: What are we going to eat, Miss Brooks?
7: As soon as I send one of my students to the store, Mike.
9: You plan hooky today, Miss
7: Brooks? I guess I'll have to until your brother Eddie comes home. Hey, that reminds me. I'd better call Mr. Conklin. What will I tell him? I can't explain about Eddie on the phone. Besides, there's no proof of his story until his mother comes back.
9: i wish you to talk to us for a while. You're making me very nervous.
7: <laughs> I'm sorry, Danny. I know what I'll do. I'll make believe I'm Mrs. Davis and tell him I'm sick.
6: Hello? Hello,
7: Mr. Conklin. This is Mrs. Davis.
6: Margaret?
7: Yes, I just wanted to tell you that Miss Brooks doesn't feel very well.
6: What's the matter? Has she taken a turn for the worse? Who? Miss Brooks.
7: Yes? Oh, that is, she's no worse than she's ever been.
6: Have you had a doctor?
7: Yes, but how did you know she was sick?
6: You just told me a few minutes ago. I did?
7: Oh, of course I did. Well, I'm, I'm terribly upset about this.
6: Now,
7: for heaven's sake, Margaret, don't go to pieces. Oh, quiet, Margaret. I mean, Tommy. I mean, oh, I'll be all right. Uh, Goodbye, Mr. Conklin. I wish my mother was here. I wish...
10: This book,
6: Scarring Eve Arden, will continue in just a moment. But first, here is Vern Smith with an important announcement. Palm Olive Soap is giving away prizes worth sixty-seven thousand dollars. A grand prize of twenty-five thousand dollars in one lump sum, or one hundred dollars a month for life. And that's not all. There are over two thousand prizes in Palm Olive's Big Treasure Chest Contest. Ford Sedan, Westinghouse Laundromat, from Silver Fox Scarves, Postmaster Toasters, and it's easy to enter. Complete the last line of this jingle:
9: A fresher, brighter-looking skin is something I would like to win. I'll get Palm Olive Soap today.
4: Da 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 da.
6: Write your last line on a plain sheet of paper, or use an official entry blank, giving complete rules obtainable at your dealers. Include your own and dealer's name and address, and mail with the big word Palm Olive from the front of the wrapper of one regular and one bath size cake of Palm Olive soap to Palm Olive Box 92, New York 8, New York. Now here's the jingle once more. A fresher, brighter looking skin is something I would like to win. I'll get palm
9: olive soap today. Da 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 da.
6: Mail your entry to Palm Olive Box 92, New York 8, New York. But hurry! Your last chance. Contest closes next Saturday. Get palm olive soap for a lovelier complexion. Remember, doctors prove palm olive's beauty results. And now back to our Miss Brooks. Where we find Walter Denton and Harriet Conklin listening to the radio in Walter's car. And that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes our newscast Walter, from our nation's capital. A little,
9: will you? I think they're going to give another clue to the $18,000 contest on Sing It Again. Okay, Harriet.
6: And here, ladies and gentlemen, is your extra clue to the Phantom voice on the CBS Sing It Again program. At camp, his father was a king who spent some time at lumbering. Okay, Walter, you can turn it off
9: now. Boy, I'd sure like to win those prizes. At camp, his father was a king. Uh, what was the second line, Harriet? The second line? Da-da, 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 da Oh. <laughs> it was nice of you to give me a ride this morning, Walter. Oh, that's all right, Harriet. If I were the principal's daughter and you were me, you'd give me a ride if my father drove off to school early in the morning without me this morning, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> you mean the only reason you stopped for me is because of my father? Oh, of course that's not what I mean. I... I thought you might want to ride over and pick up Miss Brooks with me. Mrs. Davis was pretty mysterious about her. Said she hadn't been home all night. Well, where did Mrs. Davis say Miss Brooks was, Walter? 225 Park Street. Park Street? Doesn't Mr. Boynton live on Park Street? Yeah, come to think of it, he does. <laughs> Walter, remember that picture we saw last week? The one called Her Other Life? Yeah, Harriet. Maybe Miss... Brooks has another life. Who knows? He might even be secretly married. Miss Brooks? Married? To who? <laughs> Why, to Mr. Boynton, of course. I don't be silly, Harriet. Mr. Boynton doesn't like girls. He likes frogs. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a wonder I didn't think of it before. Why, they might even have a family by now. Just like a woman, always giving people families. <laughs> well, this is Park Street, and there's Miss Brooks in front of that house.
7: Hiya, Miss Brooks. Here we are. Hello, Walter. Sir Harriet, I'm glad you could... Harriet! I didn't know you'd be along, but now that you are, I've got to take you into my confidence. Harriet, can you keep a secret? Oh, certainly, Miss Brooks. Even from your father? Especially from my father. Oh, good. Then I don't want either of you to mention that you saw me here. You see, I told Mr. Conklin that I was sick, and, well, I'll explain it all later. But right now, you've got to go to the grocery store for me. what is it you're going to explain later, Miss Brooks? That's the secret, Walter. Just take this list and this money and have them send these groceries out as soon as possible. The address is right on the bottom of the list. Okay, Miss Brooks, but
9: there sure is something funny going on. Why, there's nothing funny about it at all, Walter. Good day, Miss Brooks, and, and give my regards to the children. Thank you, Harriet, I will. What? (laughs) Now, do you believe me, Walter? Look at this order we've just given. Four bottles of milk, one dozen cans of strained vegetables, two chocolate milkshake bars, a large box of pablum, and some swyback. That sure is suspicious, all right. Nobody eats swyback if they're not married. (laughs) Look who just came into the store, Walter. Oh, it's Mr. Boynton. Hiya, Mr. Boynton.
10: Oh, it's Walter Denton and Harriet. How are you today?
9: We're fine, Mr. Boynton. How are you
4: all?
10: Oh, well, as could be expected, we're anticipating a blessed event at any time now. Another one? Oh, yes. Of course, Patricia has quite a big family now.
9: She's even changing her name.
10: Oh, yes. Patricia's one of my favorite frogs. Oh. (laughs) Oh. Those uh, those bundles look pretty heavy, Walter. Can I give you a hand with one of them? Oh, yeah, thanks, Mr. Boynton. We just bought them for Miss Brooks. Miss Brooks? Well, why didn't she come down herself?
9: Well, she looked pretty upset when we saw her last, Mr. Boynton. Here, you better take both of these bundles and get right over there. Me? But get right over where? I guess you never heard of 225 Park Street.
10: Park Street? I live on Park Street.
9: Harriet, he says he lives on Park Street. (laughs) Walter, will be late to school. Don't worry, Mr. Boynton. Your secret is safe with us. Yeah. I think it's wonderful.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
7: and while Sleeping Beauty was waiting, Prince Charming came to her door. Come in, Prince. Uh, oh, it's the doorbell. <laughs> I guess you got carried away by the story. It should happen to me. At last, the groceries. Uh, hello, Miss Brooks. And Mister Boynton, right behind them. Come in, won't you? He's a big one, ain't he?
5: <laughs>
7: ain't he? There she
9: goes again.
10: <laughs> uh, Miss Brooks, who who are these these uh...
7: children? Will do high pockets.
5: <laughs> <laughs> oh,
7: they're they're terribly bright. Now, boys, run to the kitchen and play with the meat cleaver until lunch is ready.
5: All
7: right. Well, please make it snappy, because I'm hungry. And I'm thirsty. Oh, did you have to turn that on? Or excuse me, Mr. Boynton. There, there, little baby. There. Oh, I guess I'll have to pick him up. No, uh, uh,
10: Miss Brooks, I don't want to pry, but where did all these children come from?
7: Why any biology teacher knows that, the Stork. <laughs> <laughs> what,
10: what I mean is, whose are they?:
7: Well, they're the children of Eddie Garson, who's a student of mine's mother.
5: <laughs> what?
7: Which their father is a traveling salesman..
5: <laughs> I'm...
10: I'm afraid you're upset.
7: Oh, well, of course I am. You'd be upset, too, if you had breakfast crying and three children cooking on the stove. <laughs> well,
10: isn't there anything I can do to help? Yes,
7: there certainly is, Mr. Boyden. You can help me get this house tidied up before Eddie brings his mother home from the hospital.
10: Oh, but, Miss Brooks, I- I've got to go to school.
7: You're smart enough now.
5: <laughs>
7: In some ways. <laughs> Call Mr. Conklin and tell him you're ill.
10: But I'm, I'm not ill. Now stick around a while, your chances will improve (laughs) I don't know what this is all about, Miss Brooks But if you're in trouble, the the least I can do is stand by and lend a hand Give that boy a box of merit
7: badges and two tickets to the next Olympic Games Thank you
6: (laughs) No doubt you're wondering why I summoned you two to my office, Harriet
9: well, yes, Mr. Conklin.
6: Please... I was speaking to my daughter. Harriet? Yes,
9: Daddy?
6: There's something strange going on in this school today. First, Mrs. Davis calls to tell me that Miss Brooks is sick. Twice. Then Mr. Boynton calls, tells me he won't be able to come to school today because he's expecting an illness.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
9: and
6: then, while I was conducting both their classes, I catch my own daughter receiving a note from this... this...
9: Scallywag?
6: From Miss Scallywag. Thank you, Denton. Hand over the note, Harriet. But, Daddy... The note. That's better. Hmm. Dear Harriet, whatever you do, don't let the cat out of the bag about meeting you-know-who in the grocery store and sending him where we did. We don't want to get Miss You-Know-Who in trouble. After all, we have no proof that those little you-know-whos are hers. (laughs)
5: Nor are we positive
6: that 225 Park Street is a love nest. You know who? Love nest? What's the meaning of this, Harriet? Well, oh, you wouldn't want me to betray
9: a confidence, would you, Father? Yeah, you wouldn't want her to do that, would you, Father, uh, Mr. Conner? Quiet.
6: I'll find out what's going on at 225 Park Street. <laughs>
7: Well, Mr. Boynton, did you enjoy your lunch?
10: Oh, yes, indeed, Miss Brooks. And you know something? Seeing you taking care of those children and then tucking them in for their nap after lunch made me feel that this is where you belong. Miss Brooks, did you ever think of giving up your career as a teacher? Why, Mr. Boynton? I mean it. I've been thinking it over all morning, and, well, I've got another sort of career in mind for you.
7: You have?
10: Yes, Miss Brooks, I have. Why don't you become a governess? (laughs)
7: Well, I'll tell you what, Mr. Boynton I'll become a governess when you become a governor
10: It's been fun trying to help you out this morning, Miss Brooks I hope I have been of some assistance with the children
7: Oh, you've been a tremendous help, Mr. Boynton They would never have gone to bed so quickly If you hadn't told them that fascinating story About the African sisi fly
10: (laughs) It it was nothing, really
7: Nothing, he said It had everything Humor, pathos Sleeping sickness. <laughs> now, if you'll excuse me, I'd, I'd like to wash the luncheon dishes. No,
10: no, you sit right where you are, Miss Brooks. I'm going to do those luncheon dishes myself. Oh, but Mr. Boyle. No, has... no, no, I'll have them done in a jiffy. Picture you upon my knee. Just okay.
7: Keep two and two and three. Eat <laughs> for you and you for me alone. Oh, I hope that's Eddie and his mother. Be right there. We will raise a family, a boy for you, a girl for me!
5: Oh! <laughs> Mr.
6: Conklin! What's going on here, Miss Brooks? I was under the impression that you were sick. I was. I am. Oh, <laughs> uh, what a coincidence
7: you're meeting me here at the doctor's.
6: <laughs> Did you say the doctor's?
7: <laughs> He's an obstetrician.
10: <laughs> what?
7: I don't think I helped my case any. <laughs>
10: You're all set, Miss Brooks. I just, je- Mr. Conklin. <laughs> good
6: afternoon, Mr. Boynton. I suppose you're here visiting the doctor too. Oh, of course. He's expecting
7: tadpoles. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's
10: it's my sinuses, Mr. Conklin. Oh, well, you've certainly come to the right place for treatment.
6: An obstetrician should do them a world of good. <laughs> now, uh, see here, you two. I know this is no doctor's office. You know what I think. I think you two are secretly married, and this is your love nest. Love nest? Love nest?
7: Love nest? Love nest?
6: Who are these? What?
7: Where did they come Now, please, Mr. What? Conklin, remember your blood pressure. Oh. He turns an interesting collar, doesn't he? <laughs>
5: now,
9: see here,
7: you little.
10: I... I don't know what you are, or who you are, or. Oh, oh
9: please. You're like when I was silent, Picture. <laughs> Get back
7: in your room, you two. Sit down, Mr. Conklin. Take it easy.
9: But, Miss Brooks, you promised us another story.
7: Get back in your room, or I will kill you.
9: (laughs) Come on, Mike. He's turned on us.
7: Now, please let me explain, Mr. Conklin.
6: Very well, Miss Brooks. Everyone's entitled to a hearing before he's hanged.
7: (laughs) That's what I like, an open mind. Now, you see, sir, Mr. Boynton and I were just taking care of these children until their mother comes back from the
10: hospital. That's right, Mr. Conklin. It it was an emergency. Yes. It's all well and good, but why did you lie to me?
7: Well, it would have been hard to explain on the phone, Mr. Conklin. And besides, I didn't want Eddie Garson to get in trouble. He's been absent all week taking care of his little brother. A
6: very touching story, Miss Brooks. I don't doubt that your motives were of the highest, but I can't run a school that way. Miss Brooks? Unless you're in your classroom for the afternoon session, you had better look elsewhere for employment.
7: Oh, that must be Eddie now. I'll get it. Eddie, I thought you'd never get... Where's your mother? Well, she's paying the cab, Miss Brooks. She'll be right in. The doctor says she's fine. Oh, good. Then she'll be able to take care of her family again, and I can get back to school. Oh, oh, no, you can't, Miss Brooks. We need you more than ever now. Look, in this blanket
8: here, a brand-new baby brother.
5: (laughs)
7: Once upon a time, there was a governess named Connie Brooks.
6: <laughs> Eve Arden, as our Miss Brooks, returns in just a moment. But first...
4: Dream girl, dream girl,
6: beautiful, luster, Cream girl. Tonight... Show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a luster cream shampoo. Only luster cream brings you K. Dumas' magic formula blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Gives loveliness lather even in hardest water. Glamorizes your hair as you wash it. Luster cream. Not a soap, not a liquid, but a dainty cream shampoo. Leaves hair fragrantly clean, free of loose dandruff, glistening with sheen, soft, manageable. Gives new beauty to all hairdos or permanents. Four-ounce jar, one dollar. Smaller sizes, either tubes or jars. Tonight, try Luster Cream Shampoo and be a... Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful Luster Cream Girl. You owe your crowning glory to a Luster Cream Shampoo. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks.
7: Well, I couldn't afford to lose my job at school, and yet I hated to leave Mrs. Garson in the lurch. So I did the only thing possible under the circumstances. I got somebody to help out in my place. Before I left for the afternoon sessions, I gave a few last-minute instructions. Uh, Now, be sure the formula isn't too hot, and don't be stingy with the talcum powder. Any other questions?
6: What should I do with the safety pins when they're not in (laughs) use?
7: With a baby this age, you won't have that problem. Goodbye, Mr. Conklin.
6: (laughs) Next week, tune in to another Our Miss Brooks show, brought to you by Palmolive Soap, your beauty hope, and luster cream shampoo for soft, glamorous dream girl hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns. Written and directed by Al Lewis with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Boynton was played by Jeff Chandler. Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, Tommy Cook, Sandra Gould, Bobby Ellis, and Jeff Silver.
0: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Lights Out, followed by Fibra McGee and Molly. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support.